Madeline from Midwife. David Nance. Seth Graham. Kiaville. Mike from Uniform. Lee Noble. Braden J. It's Ryan Hall. I hope you enjoyed this interview that I did with Sam Malstead, aka Orchard Thief. In it, we talk about the DIY scene in his hometown of La Crosse, Wisconsin, in Minneapolis. We talk about sassy white belt emo, his first Kings of Leon cover band. I'm just kidding, it wasn't a cover band, but there was a Kings of Leon comparison. Um, and then just kind of his latest record and latest output under uh, his project, Orchard Thief as well as his other recording project material. Patreon subscribers who subscribe for five bucks will get a all-exclusive secret mix that Sam did for this project. So head on over to Patreon. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to build that up. (laughs) It seems weird to monetize your hobbies, but here we are in late-stage capitalism, and uh, web hosting sucks, and it's expensive, and... Uh, I'm trying to funnel as much money as I can uh, to the record label. In the wake of this fire um, destroying the lacquer uh, factory in uh, in California, it is really the the whole vinyl industry is kind of up in the air. So I'm really trying to funnel as much as I can over to Whited Sepulchre to ensure its longevity and also to just make sure that I cover all of my bills. Um, with Tome to Weather Machine, something that I love dearly. Like I said, it's a weird thing to really monetize uh, your hobbies, but hey, here we are in Trump's uh, hellscape of America. So uh, yeah, once again, it's a, uh, I had a really, really nice time um, talking to Sam. His tape that he just put out, The Gentle World, on uh, Already Dead is just really, really beautiful, peaceful, um, kind of world-building record that it's really nice to retreat to when you are forced to, uh, yeah, exist and sell your soul in uh, late-era capitalism. Anyway, hope you guys are having a good one. Bye. Okay, uh, so I am Skyping with Sam Molstad, who records under the name The Orchard Thief, or Orchard Thief. Uh, Sam is calling from Minneapolis, and this is the first time we've talked together. So, so Sam, um, tell me a little bit about your current project, kind of before 
we get into kind of the crux of the interview, which is your kind of uh, experience uh, developing through music. Tell me about Orchard Thief and, and how long you've been doing the project. Yeah, so Orchard Thief is a project that I started doing when I was, I guess I was 18. Um, I Before I went to college, uh, after I graduated high school, my parents got me this like digital eight track machine um and i my first year in school i just kind of like spent a lot of time walking around the dorm buildings and trying to find interesting places to record music and when i was like 17 uh, i had read part of i read like the first half of moby dick and never really finished it because it kind of went over my head and there was this passage in there where he refers to uh, Adam and Eve as orchard thieves. And that phrase always stuck with me really strongly. And so when I started recording music by myself and I didn't really know what I was doing with it, I was like, oh, I'll just use that phrase that I really liked. Um, and that was, well, was like 14 years ago now. <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. Um, so being terrible at math, what year is that? Sorry, what's that? I'm terrible at math. What what year? Oh yeah, let's see. That would have been 2006. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the fall of 2006. I was living in Duluth, Minnesota, uh, and going to school and finding weird little like basement areas in like the dormitories that people didn't really go to very much, and I would just hang out and record music. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So did you grow up in Minnesota? No, I grew up in La Crosse, Wisconsin, uh, which is okay. like uh, probably like three hours southeast of here, um, or of Minneapolis, uh, and it's right along the Mississippi. It's a really beautiful drive, and the town of La Crosse is really beautiful. Uh, it's probably like 50,000 people, so it's not super big, um, but I think one of the things about lacrosse that really helped me come into playing music was the fact that there was an all ages DIY venue there uh, called the warehouse that's still running and it started in like the early 90s uh, and so that was for me that was a really great place to like see a lot of music and have an opportunity to play music when I was in high school and stuff like that um, so two so two questions yeah. How did you first hear about the warehouse? Like, do you remember when you first heard about it and, and like, how, yeah, basically how you heard that there was a DIY space in La Crosse? Yeah, um, so it's just down the street from the place where I took piano and drum and guitar lessons. Uh, and I started taking piano lessons when I was, like, six, I think. Um, so... And also the downtown of La Crosse isn't very big. So if you're just walking around down there, you kind of like see all the storefronts and the warehouse has this like um, incredibly steep, really memorable stairwell and this like tiny little narrow doorway that leads to it. So it's the kind of thing that I think when I was young, I would walk by and just kind of be like, what is this weird little storefront? And like, <laughs> it just seemed, uh, it seemed intriguing. <laughs> And then it's also pretty close to the record store in downtown La Crosse, where I, you know, hung out a lot in high school, stuff like that. 
So what was the first show that you remember seeing at the warehouse? Yeah, the first show, probably the first show I saw would have been um, a good friend of mine growing up. His sister played, I think she played French horn in like a ska band. (laughs) And they were called Sunshine Policy, which I think is a pretty good name, actually. Uh, I think it's like a, it's... I don't know if it's like a an official like state implemented thing in North Korea, oh. but um, it's like a it's kind of and I, I off base. I haven't looked into it in a while, but I think it's like something. It's like a some sort of kind of like censorship campaign of the North Korean government from like I don't know maybe like the nineties or something like that. Um, but yeah. So anyway, there was the ska band in lacrosse this mountain. <laughs> what year would uh, this be? Ooh, let's see. I was probably I would have been like fourteen or fifteen. That tracks. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm thirty two now, so it's like seventeen years ago ish. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um that probably would have been the first show and they played a, a they played like, I don't know. Because they didn't all live in lacrosse. Some of them were like going to school in Madison. So uh, they would probably play like a handful of times a year. And that was always exciting. And then there was like a lot of kind of like um, sort of like hardcore-y, like emo-y, Blood Brothers-y kind of bands that would play there. Which wasn't like super duper my thing but there were just a lot of like bands at touring at that time at that level and there were a lot of people in lacrosse who were like into that there was a scene for that yeah i was gonna ask was that the scene um kind of that white belt screamo type uh (laughs) yeah yeah the white belt (laughs) yeah dual you know dual dual vocals uh really super scronky guitar yeah yeah that was very much a thing that was happening there um and then, you know, there are also, like, a bunch of kind of, like, jam bands and stuff like that. Um, Whoa, there's a jam band scene in uh in Yeah, there was kind of at that time. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty psychedelic. Uh, what was, I think, the big band that was around at that time was called Tug, which stood for the Underground Groovement. It was T-U-G-G. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my um, God. That is amazing. So you yeah. had, so you, you had, like sassy emo and uh <laughs> and like and the underground groovement yeah all playing at the same place yeah you know bands like bands like tug would be playing more at like the bars because they were a okay. bit older but yeah. they did yeah their shows did like cross over at the warehouse for sure um so and yeah so, that was and so you were saying that you played in a band um that you compared to the kings of leon so and and the well, yeah, only so reference like... the only reference I have is sex on sex is on fire, which is <laughs> right, a, but... which is a bop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, there's that was like one of our reference points. I mean, also like you know the Strokes were like, you know, putting it had put out their first two records right around then, and who else were we into? Um. Just like that kind of that era of like sort of like garage rock revival bands, which I feel like originally Kings of Leon was kind of part of, and I just remember like one of the guys who sang in the band was he like kind of 
sounded like the singer from Kings of Leon, and he was like really into that. So I think that was like why that was referencing that I came up with. To me, they have like a southern rock vibe, you know, like yeah, kind of has this baritone sort of like driving. I'm driving, <laughs> but that's like once again the only reference point I have. So. Yeah, no, and the the guy who was sang in that in that band was like he definitely had that sort of like gravelly thing he was doing, but it wasn't like butt rocky. Okay, <laughs> you Not know yet. it was like yeah, it was like sassier than butt okay. rock. Okay, okay, cool. <laughs> so what? So so the scene in so the scene in lacrosse was, uh, yeah, sassy emo, uh, groovement, and. <laughs> what do you remember and and so it was obviously it was like a place where like touring bands would come through what were some shows that you saw that like uh i don't it's cliche or whatever but like changed your life you know what were some memorable shows Hmm. well i mean definitely like i think more because of the age that i was going to like those sunshine policy shows was like really formative because that was kind of like the first time i felt like i was live music in a way that wasn't like in like an amphitheater or like in this really huge environment that felt you know like maybe it was more about a spectacle and less about like an actual connection with like someone um and so yeah as far as like those go i would say like that was like really in lacrosse like those those early sunshine policy shows were great because, I mean, that was, like, the first time I was, like, in a mosh pit or anything like that, too, you know. Um, it was, yeah, and I think that just kind of, like, made the whole thing feel more attainable. Um, in fact, I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is, like, not that far from my house. And, like, the stage is right there. And, like, I know the people on the stage. Like, this is cool. Um, and then, yeah, after that, you know, yeah, it was, like, the scene was a lot of these bands that i wasn't super into so like playing with the other the bands that i was playing with wasn't necessarily exciting it was more just about like being able to do it like having an outlet for it somewhere um i would say like like seeing shows that really like impacted me didn't really start happening until i was like in minneapolis and going to like diy spaces around here so you um so you grew up in lacrosse and then you went to school in um what would you say that was in duluth minnesota Duluth, minnesota yeah duluth is like two three hours north of minneapolis that's where that band low is from yeah low. um yeah yeah low was a band i was really into um that probably consciously factored into my decision to go to school there um but yeah, so I was in Duluth for only a year, and I didn't really make any friends there, which is, I think, why I spent so much time recording music. Um, and then I had some friends from lacrosse who had gone to school in Minneapolis, so I just started visiting them a lot, and then realized that the city seemed a lot more interesting. So then I moved here, um, and kind of had a funny venture through school, changing what I was doing a lot <laughs> and also just like playing music as much as possible and yeah it was while I was in college here that I kind of like started going to more shows and signing up shows and getting involved with like art events and stuff like that. 
So you started Orchard Thief your freshman year in Duluth. Um, yeah. And you kind of described it as finding places kind of out of tucked away out of the way places to record yeah Um, what were some of the things that you were exploring in those early orchard thief uh, recordings i would say like at that time i was like listening to like a lot of like the microphones and kind of like k record stuff um and then you know i was also like really into wilco um and so i think i was it was like i was becoming aware that like the studio like the studio and the recording process could kind of become composition tools you know rather than just being like okay like what are the chord changes like that's what dictate how the song is written being like oh well like i can just make like a really interesting texture if i record like five guitar tracks and then that can be a part of the song and then that'll morph into the part of the song where it's just like all vocal tracks um which so it was kind of just like playing around with ideas like that um i would say i was making recordings that were kind of uh trying to span like these sonic experiments with actual kind of like more traditional uh composition and how did the location in which you recorded those contribute to the overall sonic experience or the aesthetic of it yeah i think part of it was probably just sort of like turning it into more of an adventure like it felt fun to like try to find places where i wasn't going to get interrupted um and then also uh yeah i think there's just like lots of a lot of those were like i remember there was one it was right outside the dorm there was this floor that that elevator it was like the basement floor and the elevator went down there but there wasn't anything in the room it was just like a big tiled room with a stairwell that went up to the first floor so i don't know if maybe i'm forgetting if there was like a storage like some sort of like utility closet somewhere that i you know i don't know but so that was just like a classic verb space um you know like lots of hard surfaces and like you know high enough ceilings to kind of make things bounce around in an interesting way um so i think it was you know probably like even less than just the sonic environment it was more just about like the utilitarian aspect of like trying to find a space where i could be and there weren't going to be people who would like come down and be like, "What the hell are you doing down here?" <laughs> it's like I'm smoking weed. Gosh, get out of here! Like, oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So you then moved to Minneapolis um, mm-hmm. and started uh, playing music. Um, did you start playing music like out in Minneapolis? Yeah, um, probably, God, I think the first year I lived here, I didn't really play any shows. Um, I was still just doing, like, a lot of recording, like, in my apartment. Um, but then, by the second year is when I started playing shows. That's, like, when I started kind of, like, making friends who were also interested in playing music. And um, I think, like, the, I ended up getting uh, an art degree at the university. 
Minnesota. And um, so like that second year that I lived here is when I started making friends with people in the art department. And the art department is on, there's like two parts of the campus in the U of M. One of them is on what's referred to as the West Bank, which is like an area that has like a lot of like cool cafes and restaurants and like bars and stuff like that. Um, so spending more time in the art department and then like just by proximity, kind of like being a little bit more like plugged into the actual city of Minneapolis rather than being in like the campus bubble, I think was like an important way to kind of be like, oh wait, there's like a city here where people are doing stuff. And, and then that combined like meeting people who are also interested in trying to set up events and so then if you like want to book a show somewhere it doesn't feel quite as intimidating you can be like oh i just like am me trying to like you know play at like palmer's bar or something it's like oh there's like a group of us like we all have a band let's like set up a show um so that's kind of how that happened i guess it was just sort of like a, this i just sort of like fell into this and that made it feel easier to do. So you, at that time, it sounds like you were recording Orchard Thief. Were you playing in other projects and other bands? Yeah, yeah. I, I probably actually started playing in a band with... Um, so I also, I do the solo project Orchard Thief, and then I also have a band called Material, which is a two-piece, like, all hardware electronic um, project that I do with a really good friend of mine who I met the first year I lived Minneapolis. So uh, my my bandmate Tim and I have been working together almost as long as I've been doing um, this solo project. But that, you know, he's lived in different cities kind of in that time, and we haven't all been doing the same project. Uh, but anyway, he and I first started playing shows together. So I was probably playing out with him. Uh, I think our first band was called Bad Tanya. Uh, <laughs> And it kind of, that band kind of sounded like hell. It was just like lots of like big, kinda like crunchy, loud guitar sounds. And like, you know, sometimes there would be parts where it was just like drums. Because like, we had a drummer and then I would have like an auxiliary kit. And then Tim, my bandmate, had like a synth. And so he would be like making these weird, like, <laughs> kind of like noise sounds. And it would just be like lots of drums um, and stuff like that. Uh, so I would have started playing out doing that, and I think through kind of getting comfortable playing shows with other people, um, which I mean, I had already been doing in high school, but um, doing that in like this new environment here, then I was like, well, I have all this like solo stuff. I, there's gotta be a way I can do it. Um, and I think too, you know, another thing that was a big part of figuring out how to do solo shows was you know, for the longest time, it was like, I was making all this guitar-based music and I didn't really know how to like make that interesting live because I didn't want to just like sing and play guitar. That never felt particularly interesting to me. Um, not that I think it's really cool to do that. Um, you know, there are people who are really good at it, but I never felt like that was going to be my thing. Um, and, but yeah, somewhere in there would have been when uh, that Panda Bear album Pitch came out, which is when I first became aware of the, the Roland 404 sampler as an instrument. And I was like, whoa, that thing looks really cool. Uh, so I got one of those and that was kind of 
how I realized like, oh, this is how I can perform. Like I have these songs that have all these different parts and I can just like make samples of them and then like, you know, sequence it. And then like the song is on this machine. And, you know, and it felt different than just like singing over a track because I could still kind of be like interacting it with, you know, with the samples in some way. Like the live version was still a little bit different than the recorded version. Um, so yeah, the early Orchard were just like me with a 404 and I would have like I was like taking samples of like little guitar phrases and like hits and then resequencing like songs that existed in a recording like into the sample and then like singing over it and I, I don't know that's like maybe not the clearest description no no I mean yeah <laughs> it, it, it also tracks <laughs> yeah um, cool for, for the time frame for sure that's awesome um, so we talked a little bit um, about Orchard Thief being inspired by kind of like K Records stuff and Wilco mm-hmm. stuff. What were some really important early albums that you remember just uh, kind of blowing your mind? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. From when I was younger. What are the big ones? Um, well, I mean, uh, neither of my parents like play music, but they both like, you know, really love shows and like there was a like music was a definitely my upbringing and that would have just been like a lot of you know, like classic rock kind of stuff like lots of rules lots of um my mom really likes like motown stuff like that so that was like different stuff that i was around a lot growing up as far as like really really like formative records um like like in high school, I was definitely really into Yola Tango. I think those that, that was like some like hearing this that was uh, it's like really nice guitar sounds, but also like a lot of variation from song to song and like music that felt really creative, but also like pretty casual. I think I was really kind of like that seemed attractive. Didn't like take itself too seriously. Um, was cool also i think yeah at that time probably would have been like probably like first heard yankee hotel foxtrot and was just like whoa the fuck is happening on this album <laughs> like there's like all this crazy stuff it was just like sounds i'd never heard before um but you know again too i think like even as far back as high school like there used to be this website very few people that i talked to remember or know about did you ever experience epitonic.com yeah it was a website that like just had like this huge database of like one or two mp3s of just like hundreds and hundreds of like really obscure artists and that was how i first heard about like happened and uh probably fortet was on there too um like yeah just like stuff yeah, stuff like that, that, like, you know, if you were living in a small town in the Midwest, you probably weren't going to encounter in any other way. Um, but, so, yeah, epitonic.com was, like, a way that I first kind of, like, found a lot of music, um, like, record stuff. That was kind of, like, my introduction to that. Um, then also, you know, I think I, I was on like British punk stuff, like The Clash and uh, 
Piffle was another band I really liked. I went to London when I was in high school. I was like 18. I went with my mom and I remember finding a record store and being like so excited that I found this bootleg copy of Inflammable Materials by the Stiff Little Fingers. <laughs> I was like, oh man, this is like, I felt like so legit. <laughs> Has any of that influenced um, Orchard Thief in any way? Um, I think like the punk stuff uh, just in more in the sense of like uh, like I like ethos. I think I I've always been pretty felt pretty strongly about uh, like making my own recordings and being in control of the process as much as possible and um, I don't know doing things my way <laughs> uh, and you know I like. Minneapolis has had like a pretty long running DIY that is like pretty tight knit and um and I think pretty it's like really creative and really good at uh like maintaining a certain kind of momentum uh and just kind of like doing its own thing. It's it's kind of surprising though that there hasn't been like really like steady diy spot for the last three or four years um, yeah same thing in cincinnati too it's been it's been tough um i think just generally around the country it's the sustainability of diy spots has been really really challenged yeah i think that like yeah and i feel like i don't know what cincinnati is like but in minneapolis there's definitely been a lot of um like land development there's just like condos shooting up everywhere which yeah which drives property values up which makes it so much harder to like actually access those spaces because like the warehouse the like abandoned warehouse that you could rent with a handful of people like (laughs) to turn into event spaces all of a sudden like really prime real estate that people are less willing to just like rent out you're competing with speculators and yeah 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 and then you'd combine that with the ghost ship fire from a few years ago and it's just like all of a sudden it's just like you know we had in cincinnati um what i believe to be like a direct result like of the fallout of that um Mm -hmm. we had um a really really amazing um so there's this part of town um kind of right in between like the neighborhood i live in and like downtown um which it like people kind of have like in their eyes as like the next like big you know real estate development place um and that's where for a while there was like uh several diy spots just like on a on a on a street and an amazing bar that just you know you could book like the like harsh noise until like 3 a.m you know (laughs) and uh yeah and and (laughs) And the, the, the bartender who is like, you know, this, uh, and the owner of it, who is like this artist from, you know, who's, who's like well into his like 60s, would be like super stoked about it. You know, he'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. man, that was great. That reminded me of, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, like, yeah. Um, yeah, back in the day. <laughs> yeah. And so he owned this other loft space that rented out to artists and uh, had amazing DIY shows there. Um, 
like I I've seen like I I saw Haleto Negro there oh, like cool. in this tiny space I I booked Juliana Barwick there in this oh, really? tiny yeah in this <laughs> tiny <laughs> little <crazy>. space <laughs> yeah um yeah just fantastic shows um but somebody snitched somebody ratted out to like the fire department that people were living there and it wasn't zoned for residential or whatever yeah and so yeah. they had to close that and then because like he wasn't making any money from this like you know bar that like book noise bands yeah. <laughs> um which is yeah so he had to close the bar um and it's so just like in a mat just like like a one-two punch to like the cincinnati like experimental mm-hmm. music community was like gone um and now there's been a bar that's reopened in its in its place and it is called arts on the ave and <laughs> it's uh it's theme is art it's it literally art has art. yeah it literally has like one of those like painter like uh color palette you know boards oh my god wow. as like the like outside of it do the bartenders all wear this? uh no the bartender that i know of has a um a mustache tattoo in his bicep oh, oh yeah yeah <laughs> so well. whenever he yeah he yeah um so i'm assuming they don't show this there they they don't um unfortunately <laughs> yeah so yeah that that's that's yeah it's been rough as of late so in when you were in minneapolis what was um like during that time uh, i guess kind of formative college years whatever you're first starting to play music yeah, yeah. what were some of the bands in minneapolis that were were making music or that were really influential oh man uh there was this band for a long time they're called Spiak, um, okay. who were just like so phenomenal um it's uh they put out a they had a record out on load records actually okay um, I, so it's so funny okay so it took me a little it took me a minute to get that reference which is like mm-hmm. chew which is like dip and then i'm like oh man i bet they're a noise rock band <laughs> yeah 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 so definitely. yeah yeah um yeah, yeah so school sense. kodiak was like like so fucking good <laughs> um it's this guy marcus who still makes music solo um under the name Mar Habreen. Um and I actually lived with him briefly in Minneapolis for a little bit. Um, but uh, Gold Kodiak was like a drummer, and then Marcus had like a bunch of like homemade uh, sort of like what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like voltage control kind of like synths. So there's lots of like <laughs> kind of like noisemakers, and then but then he would also sequence. Um, he had an electride that he would like sequence these pretty like crazy electronic like songs on, and then there was a bassist, so it was you know like electronic with a live rhythm section, and they were like Marcus's sound set is like it's like this like the the rhythms of, like school Kodiak songs is like if you were like stepping on hundreds of cockroaches in a room like while you were dancing it's all these weird like crunchy squishy noises and then marcus would do this crazy thing where he runs his microphone into the electribe and then like sequences that um that like vocal put into the sequence but like has it like only happening on every other step so his vocals 
which sound like ah, like it's always kind of getting interrupted so it's this weird kind of like disembodied thing um they were and it was just like they were a band that like everyone was always going to go see if they were playing mm-hmm. a show so you'd have like oh you got dog back there. oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yep um you know you'd have like you know 100 people like in this like uh the like the first venue diy venue i started going to in minneapolis is called the medusa um and it was on the west bank which i was talking about earlier kind of like part of town nearby the uh, arts department the university uh medusa like i think it used to be it was maybe originally or at one point was like a uh, like a auto garage or something like that because it has one like big you know lift up doors. um and yeah it had been it was kind of split up into two spaces one side is where the shows were the other side was like the bar and then like behind some booths is like where people were the living were but gold kodiak would play there a lot and, you know you just feel like 200 people in the middle of the summer just like so sweaty like it was incredibly danceable too you know it was like really really dancey like noise rock um and then there was also this really great band called Moon, um, which was a two-piece kind of like doom metal band, but with viola and drums. Um, yeah, Murr is great. Uh, Murr is really, really great. Uh, that was like, those were two bands that like, I think really kind of defined the time of Minneapolis for me. Um, and the Medusa was a really cool place because it was like the place where like some of the people who were shows um like i don't think actually anyone in Murr was but there was another guy um in a band called dark 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 from here yeah yeah um so this guy jonathan who cello and dark dark but earlier in their career um like he was a ta for a class that i had um at the university and i remember like going there was like some there was some like you know school related event happening it was like an opening and then there was sort of like an after party for that at medusa and i remember like going to medusa and like seeing a bunch of my professors and stuff i was like whoa this is really cool (laughs) like this like bringing together of worlds um so that was like a really formative thing i think for me just like being able to kind of like see these different parts of my life kind of come together around, you know, music. Um, and yeah, Nona from Dark Dark Dark, I think maybe lived at Medusa at one point. Um, I can't remember though, maybe she was just helping. But yeah, it's like, you know, they're, yeah, cool stuff like that. Uh, I can't think who, if there were other people about it. I don't know. Those are the two that come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is Minneapolis like known as like a big music city? Um. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, obviously there's like Prince. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like replacement. Uh, sure. So like those are kind of like the more like, I guess like historical, kind of like large, uh, like me. Thing like reference points that people have, um, but that band Solo Sounds from here too, I think. Um, yeah, 
<laughs> so there's like there's like yeah bigger bands like that but then also i mean i kind of discovered diy culture here and i think like it you know there had been like like you were saying like before medusa there was like this old church in the neighborhood that i live in now that was like a, a like a venue spot that people lived at it was just called the church and then before that there was this space similar called space called malas which was like also not too far away from my house where i live now um and there's always been you know at least two houses in town like doing shows regularly um so i think yeah it's like that it definitely has a reputation i think for being a spot that's worth stopping on tour you know at you know various different sure. levels of like so tell me about this latest record that you put out yeah gentle world the gentle world yeah how did you get connected with already dead oh okay well that so um i have this friend in town named james duke who went to school in kalamazoo uh, uh, with okay. yeah and so i think josh tabia who is one of the people who started um that label i think he was living in kalamazoo at that time mm-hmm. yeah and yeah james used to be in this band with another friend of ours named ray who is back in Michigan now, um, called the Grow Fangs. And okay. the Grow Fangs are great. They're super fun. Um, but so, J- yeah, so James knows Josh. James kind of know each other through music here. And um, I, you know, for, I had, I did a couple releases with um, this label Fire Talk Records. Oh, uh, yeah. Based in uh, New York. Yeah, Trevor. Trevor? Um, yeah. So, in um in denver i used to help run this music festival called gold rush oh yeah and yeah yeah so um i fire talk was always a label sponsor and oh cool i don't think i ever met i never met trevor face to face so i i grew up in denver and then lived there kind of sporadically um but more not than i live there um yeah and so yeah i always kind of i knew trevor and like we'd emailed back and forth but yeah never i don't think i've ever met face face but that's yeah i mean all respect to that label they're yeah yeah doing definitely. great things yeah so yeah so trevor actually put out my first he was the first person to put out an beef tape um and then and that god yeah that was probably like 2011 or something so that was quite a while ago now um and then he distroed another release for me um and yeah and so that was like all really good but after a certain point i just like burned out on like trying to like do all the press and like send all the emails of like you know doing releases and so i kind of just started doing really small runs of my stuff by myself and i also was kind of like taking a little bit of time to focus more on like figuring out how to get a job (laughs) so i could like make money (laughs) and that kind of thing um and so yeah so then so there was a little while where i was like a little more um and but then it was probably close to three years ago i i don't know i think i just hadn't really i hadn't done like a really 
focused recording project for a while. And I had started doing the band I was talking about earlier, Material, um, which is like, you know, hardware sense collaboration with my with my friend Tim. Um, we had been doing Material for probably like a year or so at that point. And I was had kind of like acquired some new instruments and was just like really interested in them. So I kind of gave myself a recording project. It was like, okay, I guess I'm going to make like another Orchard Thief record. And I'm going to like be a little more like focused about it. And I just kind of started exploring lots of new kind of recording processes. And I hadn't, up until that point, most of my like music making had been done still with the 404 kind of like making samples and so for the when I started doing the stuff for the gentle world it was the first time I really was actually just like using straight up drum machines and synths and like learning how to kind of like make stuff talk to each other with MIDI and kind of like compose in that way um and I just find it really interesting um and it was really I guess I was like already kind of like new ideas and sort of changing up my process and so that just sort of opened I think that opened me up to also exploring other things I never would have thought about like in the past I I Orchard was always kind of like well what can I as an individual do with music and for this album I it was like there were sounds I wanted to hear on certain songs and I didn't know how to get them. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll just like call someone else and see like if someone wants to play violin on this track. Or, like... or a choir. Right. Yeah. The choir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was, yeah, that was another thing. I was like, kind of like, didn't, wasn't feeling particularly inspired about like doing vocals most of the time, but there was one song that I was like, no, I'm going to sing on this song. I think that seems right. And I was like, well, if this is going to be the only song with vocals, like, how do I make that really like a statement? I was good. Like 10 other people sing with me. (laughs) And that was, that was a particularly exciting thing to get to do too, because there's a venue um, also on the West Bank uh, called the Cedar Cultural Center. That's a really great. Um, it's a really great venue. They host this twenty-hour noise or no, not noise. Uh, twenty-eight-hour drone festival every winter. Yeah, just like continuous music. So like one person, one act will be set up on one side of the stage, and while they're playing, another person will set up, and the person like at the mixing board just like crossfades the two sets. Um, so that's a thing that happens at the theater. They also have like a lot of artists from Africa that come and like do shows, which is cool. Um, there's a pretty like large Somali immigrant population in Minneapolis. And um, a lot of the people live around the West Bank. And so that's like a, you know, part of the Cedars. It's um, part of what uh, So anyway. Uh, the reason I started talking about that was because a good friend of mine works at that venue. And when I was telling him about this choir project that I wanted to do, he was like, well, I could probably, like, I don't think there's a show there for like the next week or so if you want to try to organize things to like record there. So we got to record it in that space, which was like really amazing. Um, it's like just a big, just a big, nice room to kind of be able to like, just have to yourself to record a bunch of people in um and it sounds good in there um 
And then also there's a. Did you have you listened to the, any of the Hailu Nergia recordings that were reissued? It's a yeah. It's a guy that I think that label Awesome Africa uh, reissued a little while ago. He's like, um, I think he's from Ethiopia. He's an organ player, um, and he has this one album that has a bunch of kind of like vocal on. Jed's like group vocal tracks on and uh I was listening to that a lot while I was working on the gentle world recordings and that was another thing that kind of like made me think like oh it might be cool to like have like a choir singing because like this stuff like sounds fucking awesome <laughs> and uh and so the fall after I recorded the choir at the cedar he came and played at the cedar so I got to like go see this person like in the space like where I had recorded this thing and he was like the person who had kind of like helped inspire me to do this thing. And that felt like this really cool moment of like time and space kind of colliding into this really like wonderful inspirational moment. That's great. Uh, what are some of the themes that you explore on Gentle World? Yeah. There's, uh, some, there's some spoken word. Uh, I already like some, some vocal samples. Um, yeah. Woven throughout. Yeah, um, I think, like, you know, I mean, I started recording that stuff, I think it was the winter after uh, Donald Trump was unfortunately elected president of the United States, <laughs> um, and so they're just being, like, a general tone, I think, in the world at large right now, of there being a lot of... Uh, Really, just sort of like, just like a lot of negativity and harshness in the air at certain times, and I think I also personally was like, you know, as I was saying, I was like taking a break from doing the things that I do quite as uh, as intensely, so I could kind of figure out how to just sort of like, you know, make enough money to like have my day to day life keep working right, and so just like kind of. The place of making certain kinds of sacrifices and just like looking at the general cultural of the world and feeling like it felt really kind of like uh, I don't know not necessarily impending but just like a little scarier <laughs> a lot of like uh, heavier ideas that I think a lot of people are confronting and trying to deal with right now and so for me I was of making this record and coming home from work a lot and just thinking like i just want to like sit in like a nice place like <laughs> i just want to like make music that like feels like a good place to be um and specifically there was it's the the last track on the album living in the gentle world i recorded probably like halfway through in the sessions that i was doing for it and i remember like when I sat down kind of listening back to that song after I had mostly finished it, I was like, okay, I think I'm making now. Like I had only done like a few, I had done like a handful of experiments and like wasn't sure where it was going. And when I heard that song, I was like, okay, I think this is a record. And I just, it just like when I was listening back to it, it felt nice. And I was like, yeah, I just want to make like an album that just kind of has like a feeling of positivity to it feels 
it's like a nice place where you can sit and like just breathe for a minute. Um, and so I think that's, yeah, that's where that is. And the, the spoken word on it too is a, a friend of mine who lives in New York now, um, he had a birthday party one night and he was passing around his phone all night uh, having people leave voice memos of what their um, vision of the apocalypse would be. Um, yeah, and then he he then like took fragments from all those voice memos and made this like double sided like eleven by seventeen zine out of it, um, which I thought was a really cool project. And when he when I like read back part that I had recorded, it was. Like, I think I was talking about a lot of things that were on my mind while I was recording that record. And I was like, oh, wow, this, like, should be on the record. Um, and so I invited him over to my practice space, and um, we had enough, like, staying up late and drinking. And I just kind of, like, was coaching him through the, I was like, okay, read it, like, this person now. And so I had him read, like, what I had said, and then I went back and kind of cut that up and found the parts that I liked and like inserted it in the, in the album. Um, so yeah, that's that. <laughs> awesome. When I heard the record, it kind of reminded me of um, something that would come out on. Are you familiar with that label? Inner no, Lands? I'm not. Oh, yeah, um, it's a really beautiful. Um, they're really very well curated tape label um, run by a friend of oh, mine okay. Sean Conrad um, yeah but it, it, it's kind of built on that idea of like how can the music that we're putting out kind of contribute towards somebody's uh, peace of mind or um, contribute towards like a world that we want to see that's a little bit more uh less less harsh and a little bit more a little bit yeah. more gentle and a little bit more like warm yeah trying to like contribute to so. a greater sense of like collective well-being i think is like i think yeah that's that's very much on board with where where i'm trying what i'm trying to do with my music <laughs> so yeah inner island awesome is it like in, inter islands or yeah inner? okay inner yeah, like inner yeah <laughs> internal islands very yeah. cool um well cool well so that kind of brings us up to kind of the present with um with your latest record is there anything else that you're working on um in the future anything um music or art related that you're um well about? so yeah the, i mean the gentle world was like a thing was like a big project for me as like a solo um as a solo venture um and so i have like some stuff i have like probably four songs i've been playing for the last like six months or so that i think might be an ep of some kind once i actually find some time to just sit down and record them but um i also like material is a project that uh my bandmate and i have also kind of both decided to start uh, focusing on a little bit more. Um, we did a tour this last fall. Um, uh, we went out to the East Coast um, and then we're probably gonna do that again this fall. 
um, and we're uh, gonna we're like trying to play some more shows this spring and just like I don't know build a little more momentum around that project. So I think for Orchard Thief, that's probably gonna like go a little bit to the back burner for me because doing material is something that. It's like, you know, when you're working with someone, it, it's a little bit easier to kind of like uh, keep the momentum happening. And, you know, it's like, it's not just sitting around like trying to send emails and reach out to people. It's like, we can both do it. <laughs> um, and yeah, also like, you know, I have a full-time job, so I can only take off so much time to go on tour. And it's more fun to go on tour with my friend than <laughs> it is just by myself. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure exactly what, you know, I think I I want to try and do as much uh, kind of like reaching out to people and kind of trying to put the gentle world out there because I spent, you know, a lot longer on that record than I have on previous releases. Um, but, and it'd be, I would, I mean, I would love it if I could do like a tour behind it. Um, but I might try to go to like New York and play a couple shows with people from Already Dead that like, uh, or in those areas just to kind of like do some sort of promotion for it, you know? Um, but yeah, the next, as far as like stuff on the horizon or material uh, related, um, which our next record is going to be, it's called, so the first album was called Material, the second one's called Materials, and the third one is going to be Material Plus, which is an album of collaborations. Um, and yeah, we kind of, we have, you know, my practice space is also the material practice space, and we've just been inviting people to come and kind of like plug into our MIDI brain and jam with us. Um, and so I would say we probably have like half of the material right now that we need for that record. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, was going to yeah. make a joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so then that's kind of the thing rosa are you did you ever know of a band called the pen test um that was on moniker records the pen test no but um moniker records um i uh i'm putting out a record right, by yeah. jordan reyes um yeah and jordan yeah, used yeah. to do okay right so yeah yeah but um so yeah this band called the pen test they were on moniker and they're good friends of mine and um we're kind of also doing we just started doing some like material pen test collaborative um recording oh, cool. and jamming so i think we're probably gonna there will be a record of that or some document that's something and we're gonna play some shows together this, this summer so. yeah you know nothing nothing like so, uh, huge but just you know staying busy <laughs> yeah so look look out for Orchard Thief yeah. material this summer and yeah, yeah sometime the, in the future when you yeah <laughs> I mean out. when we go on tour <laughs> in the fall we'll probably to Cincinnati so <laughs> come through come through it's a it's a fine yeah it's a fine city <laughs> it's fine <laughs> um, <Cool. laughs> I actually really like Cincinnati um it has it's like all midwestern cities it's right yeah. um but it's it's yeah. cool yeah well cool well thank you so much for um sitting down and chatting with me on a yeah Sunday it was afternoon. really fun i've uh you know i've never done an interview before aside from like a job interview so i was kind of curious about what the experience okay. of uh 
talking more in depth well, with someone about just my ideas. <laughs> this was yeah, this, this was, was it. This was it. <laughs> um, well, cool, and and I just have to say the um, you know the general world is really cool, really great record. I thanks, really responded um, pretty well to it. So yeah, awesome. Well, um, yeah, thanks again, and um, yeah, let's uh, when you come through, since.